It's time for the Crunch Time Plays Podcast, where we talk all things sports from the collegiate level all the way up to the pros. And now, here's your host, Bennett Ganey. What's up, y'all? Liv Moose here. Hey, what's up? This is Danny Wexelman. Hey, everyone. I'm Steffi Smalls. What's up, everyone? It's Ben Lindsay. This is Andrea Carter. Hey there, it's Brooks Austin. And you are watching and listening to Crunch Time Plays. What's happening, everybody? Thanks for stopping back by to Crunch Time Plays today. Whether you're watching us on YouTube, listening to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, just so thankful to to have you with us. And we're continuing our journey around Major League Baseball, always bringing you the best guests, trying to cover all the teams the best we can. We've got the Texas Rangers today, and we're going to take a trip down to Arlington, and and that's where we find Kennedy Landry from MLB.com, does an outstanding job covering the Rangers. But Kennedy, thanks so much for joining me today. I hope you're doing well. Hey, thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. Uh, You're welcome. It's it's a pleasure to have you. So I got to start off with you. I do this with all the all the baseball people that I've had on. So last year, you know, the Rays pulled Blake Snell in Game Seven of the World Series, and then during the off season, we have Wendy's taking taking the dig at at the Rays there on Twitter. But so I always ask the the baseball people, do you have anybody that you want to roast today? Oh God, do I have anybody that I want to roast? I don't think so. I'm a very I am a very low key kind of person. Like I'm I'm not really a an attack, like a, a roasting kind of guy. I mean, they shouldn't have pulled Blake Snell. I feel like I am, I sh- I'm not alone in that. I think they should have kept Blake Snell in. Um, I think that's the only roast I can, I can have for you right now. I can't, I can't think of anything. Yeah. Been, I mean, a, been pretty chill right now. <laughs> hey, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I'll, I'll always, I mean, that's like me. I'm always trying to, to keep, to keep it casual. I'm not trying to get too high or too low about anything. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I wanted to ask you to start off with, and this is completely not Major League Baseball related, but <laughs> since you're an LSU grad, I wanted to ask you your thoughts about Kim Mulkey being the new women's basketball coach at LSU. Hey, look, look, I, I covered the women's basketball team for three years when I was in college, and I think Nikki Fargus is one of the best coaches I've had like best people I've covered I'll say that that's the the coach that resigned to open up the way for Kim Mulkey to come through and um obviously the program has taken a little slip since LSU went to five straight final fours without winning a championship from 05 to to 08 or 04 to 08 um and I I think Kim Mulkey's the perfect hire her son played baseball at LSU got all the way to the, the national championship game to fall to Florida in 2017. Uh, she, she's a frequent around the state. I mean, she was born in Southeast Louisiana. She went to, to Louisiana tech. She coached at Louisiana, Louisiana tech as an assistant coach before, you know, getting the head coaching job at Baylor. And I think, I mean, I don't know what they're paying her. It's gotta be quite a bit of money, but you know, I think coming home is great for her. And I think it's going to be great for her for the program. I don't, again, I don't think, I don't know what she's getting out of this. I told a friend this yesterday. Um, I think she built Baylor's program from the ground up on her own and brought them to three national championships. And, you know, she's taking on a pretty big rebuilding feat with LSU. Uh, It'll be interesting for sure. Again, I don't know what she's getting out of this outside of coming home, but I'll take it and whatever gets LSU back on top in any sport. Yeah, but I'm not, I'm really not sure what, what she's getting out of it either, you know, besides, like you say, coming home, man. I know I, I posted on Twitter last night, I'm like, this is a, a home run hire for LSU because it's not, 
it's not often that we see a power five women's basketball coach leave for another power five job. Exactly. And I mean, I think, you know, nobody in women's basketball has ever won a national championship at two different schools. I'm sure that's something she has her eye on. She's a very um, advantageous person. She's, she has her eyes on the prize and nobody's shocked about that. I mean, if she can do something that Gino hasn't done, that Pat Summit hasn't done, that, you know, Tara Vanderbeer hasn't done at Stanford. I mean, I think that that'll solidify her as, you know, one of the top, not that she's not already, you know, a top five women's basketball coach in history of the sport, but if she can win a national championship at LSU, I think, you know, she wants that. She wants to be able to say that I was the person that did that. Yeah. I mean, I definitely agree with that. And then going to, to the baseball stuff I have for you, wanted to get into some, some rule changes that, that have taken place over the past couple of years. And then when we talk about possibility of a universal DH moving the mound back to 61 feet, six inches when they're trying it out in the Atlantic, trying out a bunch of new rule changes in the Atlantic league. But what, what has been your favorite rule change so far that major league baseball has implemented and what's the one that you dislike the most? Uh, my, <laughs> I'm going to get hate for this actually. Cause I know a lot of people hate it. I think that the runner on second and extra innings, I think it makes things so much more fun. Um, I, I played softball my entire life, you know, up until I graduated high school. And that's what you do in, in high school softball. You do the international tiebreaker, you place a place a runner on second. And that make, I think it makes it more fun. I think it makes it more entertaining. And when you're trying to, when you're trying to grow this game, I think it, it again, I think you need to make things more entertaining. You need to have more action and all of that. And I think the international tiebreaker putting the runner on second really does that, especially when you look at, you know, Dodgers Padres last night, you know, it went to what, 12 innings is what it ended in. And, you know, they got, they still got through those two extra innings without scoring any, even with the runner starting on second. So I think, I think baseball fans have a tendency to just automatically reject any new proposed rule change just because it's new. And I get tradition of the game and all of that stuff. And I know it can be hard to accept, you know, rule change for a sport that's been around since 1890, but I, I, not every rule is bad. And I know, you you know, there's some things that are, that are wrong with some of the rule changes. I'm not going to lie to you, but I think that rule is one I, I love. I find it amazing. This may sound weird, but but I equate like people. I complain. I equate baseball to to kind of like kind of like church. Like when you see these new like contemporary like worship services going on, and then you have the traditionalists, the the older generation. They're like, oh, we need to sing the old hymns like that. And it, it's oh look, like- I grew up Catholic, and I mean I'm still Catholic, and I once went to a one of those like mega churches. And I was like, this is, I don't even know what's going on here. Like, like Catholics are very, you stand, you sit, you kneel, you stand, you sit, you kneel and you go about your day. Those, those other Christian churches, they be up. Like it's crazy how different it is. Yeah. And it's, it reminded me, I was thinking about this yesterday just with baseball, like you have you have the traditionalist, like America's pastime, like people that are like, no, nobody messes with the game of baseball. Like these rule changes are ludicrous. Like I don't know what's going on. And then you got the newer generation of fans that are like, we need to find ways to improve the game. Exactly. 
And another rule change that I am in favor of once, I, I mean, I think this is also either going through the Atlantic League or maybe double A is the robo umps. I am very much in favor of robo, at least the home plate umpire. Obviously, I think we should still have, you know, the, the plate, the base umpires around the field. But I think the home plate umpire in the strike zone, give it to me every day. Um, it's been, I, I'm, I hate to be a person that complains about umpires and refereeing and blah 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 just because I mean I'm a Saints fan I watch the NOLA no call I like I I hate hate officiating as much as the next person but I hate to be that person especially as a journalist that complains a lot about you know how things are called how things are scored but I am very much in favor I mean some of the some of the strikes and balls I've seen in the last like week even just on this Rangers road trip I've been like it's been wildly inconsistent it's like I give me one consistent thing, and I think the Robo Ump. Once you you know calibrate the technology or however however they're going to need to do that, you know, in the minor leagues or Atlantic League or wherever that's happening, I think it'll. I think that'll help the consistency of of the game. One of the things that that I find intriguing about that is, and I don't know if this will. I don't know if this will slow the game down or not. I mean, it probably will because all the reviews tend to slow the game down these days. But <laughs> but just having just having like a couple of additional challenges for like challenging a ball or strike. Maybe it's, maybe it's a controversial, mm-hmm. maybe if it's a controversial moment in the game, you still have that, you know, that real umpire behind the plate, but, but kind of go to New York and, and kind of look at that through, through the robo concept. Right. It's very, I, again, I think these next, you know, two or three minor league seasons and independent league seasons are going to be, very important for the growth of the game and for the next, you know, for decades beyond this. And I think it'll be really interesting to see how those things work out. I know you, you cover an American league team. So you (laughs) hear a lot of talk about the universal DH and I'm in a national league country here with the Braves. But when we talk about the universal DH, is that, is that something? Give it to me. Yes. 100. I am 100% in favor of a universal DH. Like I, I get, again, I get, this is, a thing that has been around forever and people were like, no, no, like that's what makes the national league like different. But I promise you, I don't need to see like, like if the, if the Rangers pitchers were, were hitting, I don't need to see Kyle Gibson go up there and take a swing. I really don't. I'm not going to lie to you. Love Kyle Gibson. Great pitcher. He doesn't need to hit. And, you know, unless you're like Clayton Kershaw, who somehow has like a 250 batting average, like nobody, no pitcher is, I mean, they can maybe, like, make a play, set down a really great bunt, all of that. But I don't need to see that, I promise. Yeah, man, I, I don't either. I mean, when we talk about, you know, it's fun to – and I was talking about this with, with a couple other people that I've had on here. It's it's really fun to see pitchers hit hit dingers, like hit homers sometimes and, and get extra base hits. But the, the – how – the thing I'd go back to is how often does that happen? Like, does that, that right. doesn't, that doesn't make up for having a DH in the lineup. Right. I mean, Bartolo Colon, I had like what two home runs that one season with the Mets and people were like, this is why pitchers need to hit. I'm like, how many times did he strike out before this guys? Come on. <laughs> like, I promise this is not an indictment of the rule. Like it's an exception. I'm I'm sure there's a stat on this. Uh, I just hadn't looked it up, but I would love to know how many times a pitcher strikes out 
how many times collectively in the National League, how many strikeouts the pitchers have a year? It's got to be like a crazy amount. I'm not even gonna lie to you. I guess they're pro- they probably uh, get out on bunts uh, quite a lot as well, but it, it's got to be a crazy amount. There's no way it's not. Yeah, that's true. And then another topic that I wanted to get into with you, as far as the rule changes and and the new, you know, the new CBA is coming up here this this next season. But if major league expansion, are you in favor of that? And then what are what are some of the couple? What are a couple of the cities that you would like to see major league baseball expand to? I know for me, when I look at, at Nashville, one of the one of the fastest growing cities. I mean, I just love Nashville. Definitely. Love to get there sometime soon, and then and look at like Las Vegas or or Portland. But when I look at Las Vegas, that's probably a a city that I'm in favor of, just because it opens up the whole new sports gambling aspect of of baseball, having a team there. But but what are a couple of the cities that you would like to see uh, if there were were to be expansion? This is I literally had a conversation about this with some friends like two days ago. Like I am, I I want expansion. Give me some fun new teams, some some fun new cities. Nashville, Nashville was actually the one I am very much in favor of. That's what you know. We were all like throwing around cities like in the group message, and Nashville is like I went to Nashville in 2019 for the LSU Vanderbilt game um, in football, and that was like the longest three days of my life. But it was amazing. I think Nashville is such a fun city. And to just plop a major league baseball team in that city would be amazing. I think that'd be great for the game. I think that opens the sport to another like whole new section of fans, especially when you look, there's so many states that don't have major league baseball teams, obviously. And when you, between Texas and Florida, like Texas, Florida, Georgia, like there's nothing there. So then there's so many, there's so many fans who just can't make it to baseball games. So when you plop a a city and you plop a team in the middle of that, that again, that opens up the sport to more fans. And again, Nashville, I like want, I want Nashville 100%. The Rangers AAA affiliate used to be the Nashville sound. Um, it's, it's round rock now, but I think that'd be like beautiful. And, you know, looking at expansion still, I think if you're adding two teams, I think you do have to go back to the West coast. Um, so my, my pick I think was Portland. I love, like, I've never been to Portland, but it seems like a great city. I know they're a big soccer city there with uh, the thorns and the uh, timber. Is that what their MLS team is called? I think. And, and I think that would be such a cool city. They have such a different vibe than so many MLB cities too. It's very like hippie, like up and coming, like hipster, not hippie, but like, I think that's such a great vibe. I think if, I think, I think Portland would be such a great city to add just because again i think you add a whole new generation of fans into it with that that's such a young city too especially as the as the league tries to expand itself to more you know more generations younger people and all of that but i i do like your point about las vegas and the sports gambling thing i think that would be like almost genius especially as vegas you know they added they added the raiders just recently and they added the golden knights and they have a WNBA team i think Vegas is definitely a city if anybody's looking at an expansion that I would think about. One of the one of the cities that that's on a lot of people's minds, and I know the the Braves won't like this. It's kind of sticking it close to home here is Charlotte. But I don't. What do you, what are your thoughts on on taking away a market? And the Braves get the Carolinas, they get right. Georgia, they get some of Florida as well. But and they also get get tennis some of Tennessee, but. How, how would those 
conversations go down if if you were in the room just, just kind of trying to debate would Charlotte be a good city for expansion with the Braves being right there? Um, that's actually a really good point. I think when I was reading up about MLB expansion the other day when we were having this conversation with my friends, they have this great uh, athletic article. It's really, really long. You have to really de- dedicate like a bit to, to read it. But it was about, you know, what what cities in America and even some in Canada are going to be best for MLB expansion. And Charlotte was actually like a top five city in terms of like the growth of the city over the last 10 years and the expected growth over the next 10 years. And again, they have it. Are the Panthers even, are they in Charlotte? I know they're in North Carolina. Yeah. I just yeah, don't know where. yeah, they're yeah in Charlotte. So they only have, you only have one team in North Carolina professional, I guess, or you have, they have a hockey team too, don't they? I don't know. Yeah. And then I, I don't they, follow hockey. Yeah. And then they have the, they have the Hornets in Charlotte too. So I forgot about that. Actually. I, the Hornets used to be in New Orleans, but, and I like forget that they, they still exist now, even though they're not in New Orleans. Um, but again, I think, I think Charlotte would be a good city, but it is interesting when you look at how the markets are set up and how, you know, Louisiana is technically in, in the Astros market because, or maybe it is the Rangers. I don't even know, but like, because of how the markets are just kind of set up, I think Mississippi's in the Braves markets. Like it's just really weird. And I think that's something the, that MLB is going to have to take into account if, if, and when they do expand, because I, I think that is kind of important when, are all of these people who grew up Braves fans just un- suddenly going to switch allegiances because, oh, we have a team in the city now. Like, I, I don't know. I, I don't, I can't say I would do that. I, I don't think I would, but maybe people do. And I think that's when you, when you're looking about your regional branding and your marketing and even the Braves, the Braves again, aren't going to be happy about it if they lose both Carolinas in terms of viewership. So that's, probably something they're going to have to take into account i'm not sure you know i'm not in the executive board meetings i'm not sure the content team gets all all of that um that inside scoop but that's something i'm assuming that you know manfred and whoever else is making these decisions is going to have to think about for sure i definitely whenever whenever i get a chance to go to atlanta to the braves games i always find so many people that come from from South Carolina, North Carolina, just to, to make the three to four hour drive to Atlanta just to just to come to the game. So that that's right. definitely definitely an interesting dynamic to would would be to see if Charlotte does get a team, how how does that affect the Braves? Exactly. One of the one of the things that and we're talking about we're talking about these rule changes and ways to grow the game and and stuff like that for for younger generations but but one thing i think and it it's gotten a lot of pretty a lot of airtime recently it just a lot of things that i thought about is is like being able to actually watch the game like with these the regional blackouts and all this and and you know Bally's Bally that used to be Fox Sports now is Bally has the monopoly on pretty much all the the regional market regional networks now but but like we gotta find ways for people to be at, be able to actually watch the games before we talk about all these rule changes and stuff. No, no, I agree, and I think. I do think something that gets lost in that argument is that the the NBA is going through that exact same issue with the regional blackouts. And yeah, I think baseball is in a bigger issue where it does need to grow the game a lot more than the NBA does right now, but it's not, that's not an MLB issue. It's a RSN issue with 
Valley Sports. I don't even know who the parent company for that is anymore. I know it went through like four different like ownership changes and all that. But I mean, that's an issue. Like I can't watch, I couldn't watch the Pelicans the entire, like I was living in Baton Rouge, Louisiana and couldn't watch the Pelicans because I could, I didn't have Fox Sports New Orleans because I have YouTube TV, like every other person under 30. Like that's, that's clearly an issue that, you know, YouTube TV, Hulu TV and all these like streaming services where you get your, your television, like on online instead of like regular cable subscription who do i look like calling somebody to set up a cable subscription in my home i'm a like 22 year old woman living alone i'm not i don't need random people in my home like i'll keep the youtube tv and i think it's an issue again among baseball but even bigger issue among you know sports right now i mean you can't watch a pair i can't watch the predators I, i mean i don't really like hockey like that but i'll watch it like and i can't i can't watch the pelicans i can't I can watch the Rangers because I work here, but people here can't watch the Rangers if you're just a fan of the team, unless you go out to the stadium where there's 40,000 people. So, you know, you got to take what you can get. And I think it's an issue that's definitely going to need to be solved when it comes to the the cable providers and whoever runs Valley sports now. And I think the MLB and the NBA are going to have to, you know, insert themselves into that conversation as well. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. And one thing, one thing I completely forgot whenever we're talking about expansion cities and talking about Nashville. And then, uh, well, you know, if we have a team expanding Nashville, we can, we can go see Caroline Fenton, who I just had on talking about the NFL draft. I know you're good friends hey, with it. So exactly. Just, just make it, just make a trip to, to Nashville and, and get a, and, and it also gives them the, something else to talk about on the radio in Nashville. Exactly. They need more major teams over there. <laughs> Well, we're here with Kennedy Rogers, who does an outstanding job covering the, the Rangers, who we hadn't even talked about yet, by the way. But, <laughs> but uh, we'll, we'll get to them in a minute with MOB.com. Just does an outstanding job. But I do want to talk about the Rangers now. I know we, we hadn't actually talked about them yet, but we've just been having a, having a really good conversation about some other things. But when we are talking about pitchers striking out earlier, the Rangers lead the American League in strikeouts at the plate with 236 right now, and it'll go up by the time this episode is released. But, <laughs> but what what what's been the struggle at the, at the plate for the Rangers? I know they and what's causing them to to strike out so much at the plate. I think I think we talked to Chris Woodward, the manager, about this the other day, and I think they're during spring training they really preached a lot of patience at the plate you know, taking your pitch and, you know, driving your pitch. And I think they're very patient at the plate. And I think they're not pulling the trigger on, on pitches that they should hit, you know, and uh, high and inside that you can, you know, take to the right side. I'm right-handed. That's why take to the left side of the field or, you know, you know, high and outside where you could just, you know, pull it oppo. And I think, or even down the middle, they're just watching pitches that I think they could pull the trigger on and just like murder you know, hit a dinger somewhere, hit a, you know, soft line drive. And I think that's probably the biggest issue with the Rangers right now is that they're taking patience to the next level. And we, I, th- I think Joey Gallo is probably the leader in strikeouts on the team right now. I don't know for sure, but that's my assumption. Uh, but he's also the leader in the entire major leagues with, with walks. And I think that's where you get, you know, you get two sides of it. You know, he's, he's really patient at the plate and sometimes that doesn't work in his favor. I think, you know, Joey's Joey's known for, you know, hitting home runs. He's only hit one home run this season so far. I think, like I said, they're going to start needing to swing more. I think, I don't know how many of those, those strikeouts were strikeouts looking, 
uh, I would bet a good number of them are strikeouts looking because, you know, I think they're they're Again, patience is good at the plate. I think that's, it's worked out in their favor a lot more often than not, but you can't, every pitch isn't going to be perfect. And if a pitch is down the middle, whether it's a, a change up or whatever, you know, I think you need to, you need to pull the trigger and swing and that's their issue right now. As we sit right now, the, the Rangers are the last team uh, in the AOS standings. And then kind of wh- where would you, where would you say the, the Rangers need to get to maybe towards the, as we move towards the all-star break here in the next couple months and then the, the first half of the season. But what are the, the main storylines that you'll be watching as we go through the rest of the first half and, and into the second half with the Rangers and, and trying to, to get back above 500 and compete for a playoff spot? Uh. Well, their big their biggest issue right now, and I think I've written about this, is is the situational hitting. I think you know they're getting people in base, they're getting hits, they're just not driving those hits in. I think that's the biggest issue. I think I I wrote this down yesterday. They had they had ten hits and seven runs on the first day of the Chicago series. They had eleven hits on the second game and only one run. Like if you have eleven hits, like you got to start stringing those together, like you know back to back to back. And I think that's how they got back into the game last night against or yesterday afternoon against the White Sox in the series finale, you know, they, they hit like five straight singles in the top, top of the sixth inning. And that's how you start scoring runs. And I think they need to start stringing runs together, stringing hits together. Cause they're, again, they're getting people on base, you know, again, Joey Gallo's getting on base at least twice a game. Like there's no reason L- the, I almost said LSU, the, the Rangers can't, you know, score him almost every time when he's batting third in the lineup. You have, you know, Nick Solak, Jose Trevino, Nate Lowe, Adolis Garcia coming up behind him. Like, he's got to score at some point during the game. And, I mean, Joey does need to hit home runs at some point. I think that's going to come. I don't think it's an issue. I think it's getting blown out of proportion how big of an issue people think Joey is at the plate right now. I think he's going to be fine, you know, down the road. He'll By the time we get to the All-Star break, he'll have, you know, 10 more home runs or something. Uh, don't add me if that ends up being wrong, <laughs> but I, I, I don't have, um, I don't have any issues with what Joey's doing at the plate, but that, I mean, the pitching wasn't great against Chicago, but overall the pitching has been pretty good. Um, you know, they're not against Chicago. The Chicago series got quite out of hand, uh, but I think the the pitching has been, you know, good enough for the team to win. You know, if you, if you hold the other team to, you know, two runs, three runs, you should probably be able to to compete you should probably get yourself in in a win there and I think that's they're getting there I I think that's that's what been the Rangers issue I think early in the season is that they're they're good but they're just not like they can't get over that hump I think more than I think all of their almost all of their losses have been by four runs or less like they're not getting blown out of games by any like meaning of the word they're not they're not just a terrible, like bottom of the barrel team. I know in the standings they are, but, you know, they have really good players and, you know, really good pitchers who are, you know, putting together things on the field and they just can't get right over the the hump to, to, you know, win. I think the only two times they were, they've been swept this season have been the San Diego, which can't do anything about that. I mean that you, everybody has been watching the, the rate, the Dodgers Padres, like, if you lose to San Diego, like it's fine. They just took four from the reigning champions. And then just this past weekend in Chicago, who is quite literally a, a playoff contender, especially when you look, I mean, they had, I think Yerman Mercedes, he's their rookie. He had like 
he went five for five one day against the Rangers. He's just insanely good. And Michael Kopech is like came off of Tommy John and then didn't pitch at all last year and decided to, you know, get 10 strikeouts against the Rangers. I mean, this adds a certified like American League playoff team right there. And I mean, they're probably going to win the Central, I would assume. I don't know what the standings look like in the Central right now, but I think the White Sox have a pretty good chance. So the Rangers are, are good. I, I don't even, the record doesn't show that. But I mean, they took two of three against the, the Angels. They're back against the Angels this week at home. And I mean, you know, if you can, you can beat Mike Trout and you can beat Shohei Otani, I think, you know, you're, you're good enough. I think they just need to get over that, that last hump. And, you know, I think Woodward said last week, he was like, you know, good teams, they win, but like the great teams do like find a way to win in all these like small situations that they've been struggling in. And I think they're trying to get to being a great team. Who would you say? I don't know. We'll, we talk about Mike Trout. We'll probably definitely get to him here in a few minutes when we when we go around the AOS. But who who is in the lineup? Who's in the lineup that's kind of been the MVP so far? Kind of keeping the Rangers in in games at the plate. Um, in the last you know two or three weeks, Nick Solak has been out of this world. I mean, I. In the he got off to a very slow start in the first, I think, two or so weeks of the season. He, I, I wrote about it the other day. He started the season batting like like one eighty in the first seven games, and since then he's been batting like three thirty, and with like eight home runs. I think he's tied for the lead in home runs on the team. Um, on the team now, he's. I, I don't know what changed for him at the plate. I mean, Brock Holt said it's because he told him to start wearing his pants to his knees. <laughs> Um, which I agree with. I'm a big fan of the pants to your knees uh, look in baseball, but I, he's just, I don't, I don't have any words for it. I mean, the reason he has so many RBIs because Joey Gallo keeps getting on base because he walks 12 million times. Um, so, and Isaiah Conifer-Leffa has also really just hit his stride this last week against, you know, they were swept by the White Sox, but he was batting 500. I think he was seven for 14 or something like that across three games. And that's, they need him to be really good. I mean, they, they basically handed him the short starting shortstop precision this off season, dealing Elvis to the, to the A's, the divisional rival. And they, they need him to, to perform, whether that's in the field or at the plate. And he's, he's started to do that this off season, uh, not off season this past week or two as well. Yeah, there's no doubt about that, and, and counter counter for and so on. They they lead the team in hits right now, and and I don't, I definitely was was not, and I I was not a a pants to the knees kind of guy. I hated <laughs> I hated those long socks. Oh, I love it playing baseball, and I just wore like all, I just wore those short athletic socks, and I, I pulled the pants down to my ankles, like and I. I, those long socks were just always so uncomfortable for me. I, I don't know why. I don't know. It may have been su- it may have been superstition because every time I wore the long <laughs> socks, I, did, I didn't fare very well at the plate. But uh, maybe that, maybe it's because I'm a softball player. Because I mean that's how how we wear it. So maybe that's just what I what goes through my head. That's definitely true. I've I've never and I've never seen a softball player wear pants down to their ankles. It's all it's always nope. it's always knees with the long socks. Yep. Is that, is that like a superstition thing, or are you just go? Are you just going with the foot? Are you just going with the bandwagon? <laughs> that's a, yeah. That's just what it's always been. You know, when you when you get the uniforms, the the pants only go to your knees. Like so, you know, when I started, I started playing t-ball when I was like five. Actually, actually, when I was like little, little, I was the only girl on our t-ball team. So 
I was like, we wore baseball pants. So they went down to my, my ankles. But then once I got to, I think it would have been like, what, how old are you? Like eight, when you start getting to like coach pitch and stuff, that's when we started wearing like the full uniforms. And then I sort of, they just, when we handed the uniforms, you got the long socks and you got your pants and that's how you wore it. <laughs> well, switching over to the, to the pitching staff, who's kind of been the MVP that you're looking at so far. And we talked about Kyle Gibson earlier. He, he's two and oh, has the second best ERA on the team with, with John King having the first one, but who have, who have been some of the standout pitchers so far that, that you've seen and written about? I mean, Kyle Gibson, I think, I, after his disastrous opening day start where he couldn't get out of the first inning, I mean, he's been pretty much lights out. I think I, I don't know if he, I don't totally know if he's still on a scoreless streak, but I think he's gone, you know, six, seven, seven innings and eight innings in his last few starts. I mean, he's, he's been the MVP of this coach, this pitching staff. And I mean, he's the veteran on the pitching staff. So I guess that's what we expect from him. And that's what the Rangers expected when they gave him the opening day start. He's been, really phenomenal since you know that game in Kansas City and Dane Dunning until this week in Chicago has been phenomenal the Rangers got Dane Dunning in the Lancelin trade this offseason with Chicago actually and you know, he was the he came to the season the Rangers number three prospect he's not a he's not an overpowering guy by any means of the word um, you know, he's not throwing 97 mile an hour heaters or anything he actually doesn't even throw a forcing fastball he he really relies a lot on the movement of his pitches and the sinker, the slider, the cutter, and, you know, just kind of fooling, fooling the the hitters and getting them to chase outside of the zone. And up until, like I said, this Chicago outing, I think they scored, you know, five runs and three innings on him. Uh, he's been phenomenal. He went on a 16 inning scoreless streak. He, the only run he gave up before the, the outing against Chicago was a, a solo home run to Bo Bichette in the Blue Jays series in his first inning of the entire season. So I think Dane Dunning, if he bounces back well from the Chicago outing, he'll be, he'll be great. And I think I've never seen a trade as balanced as, as it, for both teams, as the Lance Lynn, Dane Dunning deal is, especially, you know, Lance, Lance Lynn's an older guy. You go to a team who's, you know, in contention right now, like Chicago and you Rangers get Dane Dunning and, as they're, you know, technically in the middle of a rebuild, you get a young, I think he's 25, 26-year-old pitcher. Uh, he made his major league debut last season and, you know, bring him in, get him to, you know, ease him into this this program as they keep, you know, they have this number two pick this coming year and they're rebuilding things up. And you need a, that's a, he's a good pitcher. He's not a number one. He's not an ace or anything like that, but he's a solid, you know, number three, number four starter. That's going to be probably a cornerstone of the organization going forward. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I thought I thought that was really good. I thought that was a really good balance trade, just like you said. And and Dane Dunning being a being a young guy that you can that you can build a rotation around along along with Gibson and, and different players like that. And then well, kind of looking ahead, and you mentioned having the number two pick, kind of looking ahead to the MLB draft. When we start talking about, you know, this this dynamic duo at Vanderbilt or Rocker or Lighter, maybe you've heard of them, but <laughs> but but probably going to be the number one and the number two pick with with Rocker to the pot Rocker to the Pirates and Lighter to, to the Rangers. Yeah, no, uh, I've I've been very vocal about my feelings on the Vanderbilt pitchers. Again, I'm a I'm an LSU girl. I'm an SEC kind of girl. I watch a lot of I watch a lot of SEC baseball, and I've watched quite a bit of Vanderbilt baseball this year. And you know, I've 
people keep comparing them to, you know, Garrett Cole and Trevor Bauer when they were at UCLA. I mean, I, they might be better than they were at that time. I don't want to say they're better than them now, obviously, but you know, them, you know, Bauer and Cole coming out of college are not on this level of, of rocker and lighter. They're literally so good. I mean, I watched, I watched rocker at the SEC tournament a couple of years ago in Hoover, Alabama. They, they just mowed down the competition. I just, and he was a freshman then. And Leiter is going to be a draft eligible sophomore. And I think it's so, it's so interesting to, to see them work. And what's even more interesting, I think, is how they're like, I can't even imagine being Jack Leiter and being the second best pitcher on that staff, like that, how good he is, or even Rocker. I mean, I, I know the two are a bit different, you know, Leiter has more pitchers, pitches, Rocker is a little more overpowering, has a faster fastball and I know he's he added a couple of pitches this offseason so it's not like he's just you know fastball curveball changeup. I think he added a slider too and they're they're just both so amazing and I think I know a lot of people want the Rangers to draft Jordan Lawler who's a high schooler in in the Dallas area actually it's shortstop and I I don't think you can go wrong with any of those three picks I, I don't know I don't know how you pass on one of those generational talents at pitcher I really don't and again, I maybe that's my SEC bias or whatever. But seeing the both of them, they both throw, they both throw no hitters in their college careers. Like lighters, I, I you rarely see them struggle. And you know, the two times you saw, I think they've each struggled once this year. They each have one loss on the season, and that's they were both in SEC play. It's not like they were struggling against you know some random like. Western Iowa or whatever it was like South Carolina and Mississippi state. Like those are two, you know, top 10 caliber programs in the country right now. I, again, I don't think you can go wrong. I think you just grab whatever, whatever pitcher the the pirates don't take, whether that's rocker or lighter, I think either of them are going to fit in great. Well, as a, as a South Carolina grad, it was really tough for me to, <laughs> to watch Jack lighter throw that no hitter uh, against Carolina a few weekends ago, but, but I don't. I, I really like Jordan Lawler as well. I think he's an outstanding shortstop and a great prospect. But I'm like you. I just I just don't know how you can pass on the opportunity to because all these players now we see it going through through college. How much of a benefit that is? I mean, go getting drafted out of high school, you're probably not going to get to the major leagues for, for five or six years. But now get, we're seeing guys out of college and especially with Rocker and Lighter getting to the major leagues in two years. Right. I mean, even look at, look at Chicago just yesterday. I think uh, Garrett Crochet, he was drafted in 2020 and he's already pitching on the major league level because I mean, there were no, there was no minor league season last year, but they just called him right up. Like, and I think I'm not saying, you know, Rocker Lighter is going to get called up in September, but, you know, it, I'd say, you know, 2022, 2023 at some point, if if one of them, especially if the Rangers are still, you know, working through a rebuild, they're going to have an, I'd say, another top 10 pick next year, unless things dramatically change um, in the next draft. So, again, I Jordan Lawler is a phenomenal prospect. I mean, he's getting comparisons to Bobby Witt Jr. He's gotten comparisons to Derek Jeter. And I think, I think if you're going to pick him, you have to be, you have to be a thousand percent sure he's going to, going to 
be the guy. He's going to be the cornerstone of this organization because I don't think you can you can miss on one of those pitchers. And what the Rangers are, are deep at shortstop anyway. <laughs> oh yeah, they, they sure are. One of the one of the kind of the fun questions I've been mulling over over the past few days that that I like your opinion on what what would you consider what what equivalent of the minor leagues would you consider SEC baseball to be? I and mean, we all know it's the, it's the dominant conference. I know it it depends on who's on the mound any given night, but when we're talking about guys like Rocker and Lighter on the mound, and then you throw in maybe like a Landon Marceau from LSU that's probably going to be a top ten pick as well. What 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 will be the equivalent of SEC baseball in terms of minor league? I mean, especially those those top tier SEC programs. You know, Vanderbilt, LSU, in another year that's not this one, um, not doing too great, too hot right now. You know, Mississippi State, Florida, all of those. I mean, they they've got you know double A talent out of the gate, honestly. Um, I wouldn't go as high as AAA at all, but you know they the the talent that's on these SEC rosters is kind of ridiculous. I'm pretty sure the SEC has the top five teams in the nation right now. If I think it was the USA baseball poll, they have like 12 college baseball polls. It's too many. I'm sorry, uh, just have two like football. Um, but you know the, the SEC is the deepest conference in in college baseball, and I wouldn't even be shocked if you know. 12 out of 14 of these teams make the NCAA tournament. That's how, that's how deep the conference is. And I think it'll be, it'll be interesting to see, you know, how many of these guys get drafted this coming draft and even in the coming years, because this year has been a year for LSU, for SEC baseball, especially, I think that is also because of the, everybody got an extra year of eligibility and how things have just kind of played out with the NCAA and COVID and all of that. But this is definitely I don't see how it I don't see how an SEC team doesn't win the national championship. Obviously, I think Vanderbilt's the favorite, but I, I don't see how one of those, you know, top three teams doesn't win it. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't either. I mean, Van, either Vanderbilt or Arkansas will be will be the two teams that, that I would right. pick to, to win the national championship this year. But and I, I agree. I don't I don't know if I go as far. I was thinking about it the other day. I don't know if I go as far to say triple A right out right out of the gate, maybe when you got a, a high quality pitching matchup like Lighter versus Marceau or something like that, or Rocker versus Marceau, you maybe kind of move it up to triple A, but definitely double A to, to start off right. with. Right. Yeah, no, one hundred percent. What the la- last thing I got for him is we're kind of taking a trip around the ALS. There's been some surprises this year as, as far as the teams that are doing really well with the A's and the Mariners. And then you have the Angels there, Astros. Just what what have you been your early impressions on on the rest of the division? And, and then it and then is Mike Trout the best player in baseball to you? One hundred percent. I don't think that's I don't think that one's debatable. Um, I think the only person who gets close to Mike Trout this season especially is is Ronald Acuna Jr. Um, I don't think anybody else has been so consistently. I, I saw somebody on Twitter the other day compare Mike Trout to, to LeBron James, just in the fact that I think we're so desensitized to really how good he is. Like, you know, people say this about LeBron all the time. He hasn't won an MVP since 2013. He's more often than not the best player in the, like in the league. And, He's just so consistently good, and he's been playing at his level for so long that we kind of forget about it. And I think the same about Mike Trout, where every year we're like, oh, Mike Trout is still, like, just doing what he does every year. 
Like, and, you know, the difference between Trout and LeBron is that Trout consistently finishes in the top three of MVP voting every year. Um, but there's there's no doubt in my mind that Mike Trout's the best player in baseball. And, well, the AL West, yeah. I, I'm very shocked at the Mariners to begin with. Um, I kind of... I kind of felt like the Mariners and the Rangers were on the same timeline in terms of rebuilding and stuff like that. And obviously it's early, it's a small sample size, but I def- definitely did not expect them to come out of the gate like this, that, like they did. And the A's going on, I think the win streak ended at 13 games, 12 games. Um, they're, they were definitely a lot better than I expected. I think, I think, I, I know there were, the ALS I think is one of the most confusing divisions in baseball right now because I don't I don't think anybody really knew what to expect I mean I personally was like I think the Angels probably might you know be at top of the division and you know some people thought the Astros were still going to be at the top I think they're in a iffy place right now because they had so many people on the COVID injured list which you know kind of got them confused Um, not confused but it, it made things difficult for them I think most everybody except for Altuve is back now. So, you know, I think we'll see the Rangers, not Rangers, the Astros at full force, especially come the May 14th series when the the Rangers are going to be in Houston. And, you know, the Rangers, the Rangers are exactly where I expected them to be. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, Like I said, I think this is a rebuilding year. They're, They're a good team. They're not great. And especially with some of the, some of the teams they've had to play this first, the first month of the season, I think almost, Everybody but the Orioles and the Blue Jays were were playoff contenders last year. And the Blue Jays don't really count because they just added so much talent this offseason that, you know, it made them they're a vastly different team than they were last year. Um, so, you know, the Rangers are where I expected them to be. But I don't know. I don't I don't know where this is going to end up. You know, are the Mariners going to be able to sustain this through 162 games? I think. The A's, you know, who won the division last year, very, very likely could contain that over 162 games. And we have to see the Astros at full strength and how, you know, when the Angels get get some guys. I know Mike Trout's on the IL right now, um, or maybe not on IL, but he didn't play yesterday. And Shohei's pitching again tonight, um, pitching and hitting. And he's now leading the league in home runs. So good for him. Uh, it, it'll be interesting for sure. And I'm, I'm really excited to see how this division ends up playing out at the end of it. I don't know if I've ever, and it's just because he he comes from from Japan, but I don't I don't know if I've seen a, a player in in recent memory that that pitches and hits as well as he does. No, definitely not. Um, I think somebody said no pitcher has ever led the league in home runs since Babe Ruth in 1921. Like, this just doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> Well, that's an incredible stat, by the way. I never, never, never. Really I saw thought, it this morning. <laughs> I never, never really thought about that. But, but Kenny, it's been awesome having you today. Just talking, talking MLB and Rangers with you. But tell everybody where they can find you on social media and and where they can find your work at at MLB dot com. And again, I just really appreciate you coming on. Awesome, awesome. You can find me on everything I write is on MLB dot com slash Rangers. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Ken Landry, K-E-N-N-L-A-N-D-R-Y. Uh, so, you know, shoot me a follow, click the things I read. I really appreciate it. Well, Ken, Ken it's been awesome having you. Let's do it again soon. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. You're welcome, man. Thank you. Thank you, Kennedy, again. Thank you all for watching and listening to Crunch Time Plays today. Make sure you hit that subscribe button on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. It's been another edition of Crunch Time Plays. God bless everybody.